All right, everybody, I'm going to do a little intro and try not to say special guest because I've been saying special guest about every guest. <laughs> hey, I'm special. What the what the hell? I'm getting washed up here, man. I was going to say that's that's in keeping with the modern zeitgeist, right? We're all special in our own way. Right away. I, I, I get the short end of the stick. I'm, you know, brand new guy on here. I'm like, oh, I'm excited. And then I get, you know, I want to be uh I want to be a part of the special club, man. Come on. Well, let's just wait till you hear the the intro I wrote for you. <laughs> okay, good. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of We Talk About Dead People, which is now an interview show exclusively. I'm only kidding. But we do have another interview today. Um, our guest today is a self-described stupid fuck. <laughs> The author of the books Don't Be a Slave and Love is a Battery. He's a podcaster, researcher, and an obnoxious loudmouth with a lot of interesting information. And I have to say, the first time I ever saw this guy, he was on tinfoil hat with Sam Tripoli. Tri Sam Tripoli? Gosh. And he was drinking a Zevia and throwing out legalese like a 35-year-old, like your 35-year-old cousin quoting Sam Hyde at the dive bar down the street. Um, but the main thing was he was drinking a Zevia, so I had the immediate question. Brandon, are you a Hoosier? What the hell? How'd you know that? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I have a lot of Hoosier friends, and they all drink Zevia. Really? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's like a, you're not still in India, and I think you're... Are you in LA? No, I've or? met... Did. I've, I've lived in Chicago uh, for two or three years, LA for 12 years, and New York City for five years, and I think I've met in all my travels in Florida for like six months. I think in all my travels, I've met five Hoosiers. Well, now you've met another. <laughs> oh, you're 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 from Indiana too? Well, yeah, I descend from Indiana, but I'm living in Wisconsin right now, which is a oh, pretty wow, great okay. state. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. Yeah. Jeez so. Time, bro. Yeah. Hell yeah, dude! I actually <laughs> just got back from a little vacation, and we drove into Western Wisconsin, and my God, the amount of cheese out there—it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Cheese curds. My my grandma and grandpa used to live out there. You know, they have a spot out here. It was the first time I've ever seen it. It was like the most random thing in the world. It was like a hot dog place. And they had they had legit like or no, it was a rooftop it was a rooftop bar in Venice. And I was like there and I looked on the menu and I was like, wait, they said cheese curds straight from Wisconsin. I was like, You gotta be kidding me. I've been everywhere and I've never ever seen any place have cheese curds. And I ordered them. And like we're out and i was like how are you how are you out of this how do you have this <laughs> oh lord it's, it's funny that you it's funny that you mentioned cheese curds and italy um back when i was a graduate student uh, my university had a job applicant for a position who was coming to visit and they really they really really wanted him and so uh one night i was sort of in charge of um showing him the best that indiana had to offer because i used to live in indiana i'm not from there um, and so we uh, we went out and we got cheese curds and fried pickles. Oh my god! <laughs> so wait, you guys are both from Indiana? This is like crazy. This is like the craziest. I've been on like eighty shows or seventy shows. This is like this is like completely crazy. Where 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 in Indiana are you guys from? I'm not from there. I just lived in uh, northern Indiana for two years, uh, South Bend. You gotta be kidding! I, I grew up in uh, right by Gary, Maryville, and Shepherdson. Oh, oh yeah, Valparaiso. Oh, yeah. I spent my whole childhood in Val. I didn't live in Valparaiso, but my best friend lived there, and I was there like every day. So, wow, it's a small world after all. Even when you're world. on the internet, it's a small <laughs> world. Well, this is a first. This is like this is like a real like small world moment because this is like 
most Hoosiers, I mean, you guys probably know, most people in Indiana stay in Indiana. They're born and raised. They don't leave, man. Like, I think out of every single person I ever knew in my entire childhood, like 97% of everybody that I've ever known is still in Indiana. I've known a guy who's who's lived there for his uh, 30 years. He's never left the state. No, seriously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know a lot of guys. I grew up northwest Indiana, so so Valparaiso, Maryville, Chesterton, which is like you could take the South Shore train for like, what, 15 bucks or eight bucks or whatever, and you can go straight into Chicago in like an hour and 15 minutes, or if you want to drive, depending on who's driving, <laughs> you can get there <laughs> in an hour, hour and a half, you know. We never win. Nobody ever goes to Chicago either. It's right there. <laughs> so you know okay so i think maybe this is a special guest interview this is like a, a this is like a hoosier podcast shout out to all the hoosiers out there listening yeah shout out to all the hoosiers the 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 point two percent of all the listeners you know it's like <laughs> i don't know i'm just saying <laughs> uh, no it's well, kind of crazy because this last week i i i've been looking for someone who's sort of like a renegade litigant like somebody who really knows the ins and outs of the legal system but isn't actually like a bar card holding a holding attorney I hired one guy. He screwed me over. Like I got, it was super, it just really sucked because I wasted like months and it was just a waste of time. And I ended up meeting a guy this last week who, who, who hit me up and he's, he's awesome. He's doing like tons and tons and tons of litigation. He's like the most renegade wild dude you'll ever see in your life. Sure enough, he's in Indiana. He's a Hoosier. And I'm like, Oh my God. And then now this, this is all like in the past, like four days. So it's like, it's a sign, man. I'm reconnecting with my roots. You know what I mean? Well, let me ask you a question. When was the last time you were in Indiana? 2016, and I pretty much promised I would never come back because it was a crazy experience. I was there for like 10 days. What did you see there? I'm t- I'm dead curious. Oh, God. I'm not going to say any names, but basically, like, I came home. I came home, and so, so my grandpa had died, okay, uh, like maybe several months before that point. And my, my biological father had stopped contacting me. He always contacted me. Uh, we would always talk like once every once in a while. And I, I had not heard from him in a long time. And I called him several times and he never kept my phone call, like to the point where he's never, ever, ever done that since I was 14 years old. I thought he was dead or something and just no one knew because he's kind of a recluse. And uh, what happened was, is, is, is I came home <clears throat> and I said to my friend, I said, you know, I haven't been able to get a hold of my biological dad for a long time. And they were like, we've always wanted to meet your dad. Let's go meet your dad. And I was like, all right. So we drive over there and, and he's, he's in his underwear, drunk in the dark in his living room. And I'm knocking on the window and I'm like, I'm like, dad, dad. And he, he lets me in and he's like, super pissed off. He's like, he's like, you weren't around when your grandfather died and he was on his deathbed and he was asking for you and he really wanted to see you and you didn't care. And you were even in town when it happened. And I was like, I don't even really know my grandpa on that side of the family very well. Like hardly like, like, you know, he would buy me presents and stuff and I would go see him once a year, you know, maybe for like Christmas or he'd be at like a holiday dinner or whatever. But like, I didn't even know that side of my family until after I was like 14 or 15 or maybe even 18 years old, because there was a lot of craziness as a kid in Indiana with domestic abuse and family related craziness and all this kind of stuff. So there was like court orders. I couldn't even really communicate with that side of the family until I was like basically 18. 
and after that, it was just, you know, hi, grandpa. Good to see you at, 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 at family events. It wasn't really much to it. Right. And, and I'm sitting there and I'm like, why would my grandpa who hardly knows me, who, 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 even if I was there next to him while he was dying, I don't know what, what he would say. He wouldn't say anything to me. I wouldn't say anything to him. We've never said anything to each other our whole lives. Like what? So, so he's, he's all upset and all this. And I'm, and I just kind of stood up and I was like, he's never, my, my, my dad has never, ever acted this way toward me ever uh, since I started, you know, seeing him after the court orders and everything. And I said, you know what? I said, I said, okay, fine. I just got up and I said, and I said, that's it. I'm leaving. And I started walking toward the door and he, he grabs my shoulder. He turns me around. He says, uh, Hey, I'm really sorry. I'm really, really sorry. Uh, you know, I'm just not thinking straight, you know, can we get lunch or something? And I said, I said, yeah, sure. And I left and, and I just, I just kind of decided, I was like, I was like, this is ridiculous. Like why, like he's been holding this grudge for all these months and, and over something that means nothing. And then he's doing this. Like, so I, I, I just kind of decided I'm just not going to really reach out to him anymore. And, and I haven't spoken to him since 2016. And, uh, and, and, and that was just one thing. And then another thing is my best friend and I, we were, we were driving somewhere and, and he was with this other girl who wasn't his wife. And I go in, we go in like Cracker Barrel or something like that. And I come out and he's banging this girl. It's not, it's, it, and him and his wife are having all these fucking issues. He's banging this girl. Oh, give me a few more minutes in the truck. Right. And then, and then like my, my other friend, he, he, he basically was super drunk. And I went over to his house and he's like crying, freaking out. And he's like, I've been having these dreams about the fact that, that I was in the army and like, I keep getting these dreams that I was in the army and I can't get it out of my head. And I'm just like, bro, like th there's more drama that I experienced in the 10 days that I was there the last time that I was there than probably like most of my entire time growing up in Indiana. Like it was insane. I was like, these people are fucking bored as fuck. Indiana sucks, dude. Like in a way, yeah. in, in a way it does, in a way it does. Like I do like the people. I like the warmth. I like the fact that you get a flat tire or something happens. Somebody will help you there. There is, there is a lot of cool things about Indiana too. It's not like the, the worst place in the world for sure. It's just people. It's like, it's like what I don't get is if you, if you want excitement and you want something fun and you want thrill and you want these various things, why in the fuck do you stay in Indiana? That's not where you, that's like, that's like a native California succulent being planted in like Alaska. Like, what do you, like, why are you there? Like, what are you doing? All right. And I have these friends that like, they get bored. So what do you do in Indiana when you get bored? You create these like, I mean, you could, you could make a TV show out of like any of these people and it would sell. And it's like completely insane. It's oh, like, yeah, it's like crazy. You know what I mean? And, and, and in my childhood, when we had like family get togethers in Indiana, it was like, it was like an obligation. Everybody had to go. Everyone was there. No one really wanted to be there. People were talking about each other behind each other's back. Someone would die. Every, all anyone wants to talk about in Indiana is who's sick, who died. I mean, it's yep. it's <laughs> it's like what the fuck, bro? Like really? It's like really? I, okay, I guess for this show it'd be great. We talk about dead people. There you go. It's Indiana right there. Boom, right there. Yeah, you know? We talk about. <laughs> so it's it's can, like. Can we just can we take a moment that you you did a road trip with your friends to go see your dad, who you thought might very likely have been dead? Yeah. Like is this like Schrodinger's dad until you arrived, he was both dead 
and alive for your friends to meet. Yeah, he was he was he was emotionally dead, but but physically alive. Yes, he was uh, he was in bad shape. So uh, it was it's you know it is what it is. I mean, in Indiana, getting drunk and 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 hanging out in the living room on one of those old you know those like pattern kind of like like dark floral, brown, floral light pattern. brown or yeah, well the browns. It's the browns. It's oh, like okay, oh yeah, yeah, we got to get all the fucking browns in the living room. You know what I mean? Like. If you don't have eight shades of brown in your living room, like, are you even a fucking Hoosier? You know what I mean? Right. If you don't have, <laughs> if you don't have Miller High Life everywhere, you know, cans and bottles, and you don't have a riding lawnmower, John Deere riding lawnmower, and you don't have fucking eight shades of brown in your living room, like, you need to get the fuck out of Indiana. You know what I mean? Like, so it's just kind of like, you know, sure enough, you know, at least, at least, it, I don't know. I just, it's a fascinating place. It's, it's a weird man. place. I, I, I have to cut in and say that's a lot of the Midwest, especially around Chicago. It's just despair. And, you know, it's like, like you said, people get bored and it's like there's like a couple things you can do in the Midwest. You can <laughs> shop, you can eat, or you can go to the city and take a selfie next to the bean. <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> you so, can also technically. <laughs> you can also technically uh, steal a beer keg. You can do that. You did do that, George. Yes, you no, did. I will say one thing about Indiana and the Midwest is the little shitty bars that are in like the middle of nowhere that everyone goes to. Boy, those are fun. Yep. Those are like everyone's fucking trashed. Everyone's fucking wild. Everybody knows each other. It's pretty. And, and honestly, you'd think you'd think like uh, it'd be more cloistered. You'd think like someone new comes and it's like who the fuck's this guy right but no it's polar opposite yeah. it's like you when you're the new blood and in, in, in the midwest and you walk into some fucking random bar you're gonna walk out with like a fucking girlfriend wife job like who knows bro like that's cool <laughs> that is fucking cool i do like that there again there, there are a lot of things i like it, it's just it i mean it's like anything else i wouldn't go and live in fucking you know uh a lot of places just because it doesn't fit you know, what I want to do in my lifestyle and all that kind of thing. You know what I mean? So, I mean, I love New York city a lot. I, I absolutely love New York city. It's like probably in my soul. It's probably my favorite place I've ever lived. I, I feel, I feel like giddy every time I even think about it. Uh, it's just a magical, magical place, but you either hate it or you love it. There's really no in between on, on New York city, but LA there's so much opportunity here uh, business wise and profession wise and everything else that, that, you know, I came out here for that. And then I, I just never left. And it's kind of like spiritually, it's not really my place, I guess you could say, but, but uh, economically it's like unbelievable. I mean, and plus there's everything, everything's here. You know what I mean? You could do absolutely anything. It's very exciting. It's not like Indiana. It's at the polar opposite of Indiana, you know? Uh, yeah. But I mean, when I was growing up, I mean, I started driving a motorcycle. I had a, a Honda CL 100 that my grandpa had bought. And then me and my, my biological dad, we had, we had rebuilt it. And I was driving that thing around into town and everything with no plates or nothing at around maybe 11, 12 years old. That's considered totally normal. I had a three-wheeler. I had like a, a 1984 Honda 125 or something, three-wheeler death death machine. The fact that I even survived that. I mean, God, it's, you know, that's a miracle. And then I had the Honda CL100, the 1971 Honda CL100. And... uh I mean, I mean, dude, where I'm from in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the country, because I actually grew up uh, from from 10 years old on. I grew up in a very small town called Hebron, which most people have never even heard of. It's kind of it's very close to, to Valparaiso, actually. Um, it's it's by Couch 
and which no one's heard of. Uh, and I could continue on saying more places, but it just would continue to just compound the fact that you don't know any of it. <laughs> uh, but, but I mean, it's, it's, you know, driving into town on a motorcycle, cruising around on a three-wheeler, uh, hell, some people would even drive their, their lawnmowers. They're riding lawnmowers around. Yep. I remember seeing oh, that a lot yeah. when I lived there. Yeah. And it's like, you got your lawnmower, you got your, your jorts, you've got yep. your <laughs> shirt off, you've got your maybe mullet, possibly you've got your shades and you've got your Miller high life, you know, and the ideal Miller high life is probably like a, like a glass 32 ounce. That's like, that's like when you're really fucking hitting the spot. That's like, that's like King status, John Deere, green John Deere riding mower shirt off, uh, uh, boots and, and a 32 of, of, uh, of Miller high life. I mean, that's just like, you're, you're the king, you're the king of the castle. You know what I mean? The true king of Indiana. Yeah. True king of Indiana. Yeah. Yeah. Now I, I, I think Indiana's a, not to make this whole show about Indiana. It's just an odd coincidence. <laughs> But last time I was there, man, like, uh, I'm just, I've been shocked and blown away and all kinds of gobsmacked at how quickly certain cities in that town or in that state are growing. Um, yeah. it's like literally becoming a concrete wonderland of more shopping, more eating, more drinking. And, uh, when I go there, there's a, there's a great like spiritual deadness, especially in places like Carmel, um, any of those places or Indianapolis, uh, at least the Northern part of it. There's just like this this serious like matrix grid thing going on there um, where it's like there's this like religion and lifestyle of total consumerism and, you know, worrying about how you're going to make more money, et cetera. Um, and I, it wasn't like that when I lived there and I, I didn't live there that long ago, but you could just very slightly see it coming. You know, there were these these ominous billboards that like oh, there's going to be an apartment complex here and we don't know how big it's going to be. We're not going to tell you how big it's going to be. And there's going to be a strip mall over here and there's going to be a strip mall across from that strip mall. And then you're going to be walled in by a four strip malls and like 10 gas stations. And it's like, yeah, no wonder people go crazy. Um, I'm sure, I know you in your work, you've talked about getting out of the matrix legally and that sort of thing. But, and I don't, I don't know how deep you want to get into it, but like there is definitely like a psychological slash spiritual matrix out there that people are trapped in. Oh yeah. And it's like, um, like you said, the consumerism. Yeah. It's, it's very, God, how do I even describe it? It's, it's so like, I guess if I had to describe Indiana and possibly if I had to describe the entire Midwest, I would describe it as, and, and it's, it's so harsh to say this. Because, but other, I mean, LA is fucking crazy. California is fucking nuts. New York is fucking wild. I mean, every place is, you could say something good and say something bad. So, so I could say a lot of good things. And, but, but, but Indiana, if I describe Indiana as simplicity, it would be empty and content. Yeah. That would be like, 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 like people are pretty okay with everything in Indiana. That's, that's one thing. It's like you don't, you, you don't really have like, it's not a very whiny place. California is a very whiny place. It sounds like a fucking supercharger. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, uh, Indiana is not, there's not a lot of whining coming out of Indiana. It, it's not a whining. So, so, so it's kind of like, yeah, okay. Like they're empty and content, but at the same time, like people who aren't, aren't content 
and they're complaining about shit or or trying to get other people to do stupid shit all the time are really annoying. So it's kind of like they're they're not really annoying. There's nothing annoying about Indiana. Um, it's just they're just they're just happy with you know what what they have and happy with what's going on and happy to have a, a little place, a, a mobile home or a, or, a, you know, a little house or a, or a truck, you know, a couple dogs or a dog or a family. And it's like, oh, that's just fucking amazing. Which, which, which isn't necessarily even a bad thing. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's just fascinating to me. It's just absolutely fascinating how different all the different places are. And I can imagine in other countries, it's like even crazier um but yeah there's just a i mean obviously it's the bible belt too so there's a lot of like religious aspects of that too where it's just like we're just here on god's earth and we're just living god's life and you know we're just happy to have what we have and do what we do and pretty much that's it you know yeah well i I will say i think the reason that you and i were both on Sam Tripoli at separate times and slash I've been on these like truth shows, these history shows, et cetera, like all this fact finding stuff and talking about the, the uh, forbidden topics and things like that. I think the reason um, we end up finding one another is because we're all, we're not whiny, but we are, well, there is something wrong out there and nobody's saying anything, but unless they're whining or if they're content, they're not saying anything at all. And they wonder why you're being such a whiner. And I think the reason I like most of the guests we have on this show is they're not whiners, they're doers. So like in your story, um, there had to be a point where you said something is wrong and I'm going to figure it out. And I'm not just going to like bitch about it. I'm going to figure out what's really going on here. What was, what was that moment for you? Did you have one or? Well, I've had that. I've had that many times throughout my whole life. I've had like a million different phases or filters or stairs or however you want to say it into all sort of thing. I would say the first like holy shit like epic wake up like punch in the mouth, punch in the gut, kick in the balls was actually uh, it's funny. I've never talked about this on a show. It would be the first Zeitgeist uh film from 2007 from um uh Peter um oh Jesus Christ I'm actually met the guy. Uh Zeitgeist one Peter. Peter. Peter Joseph. You guys ever see that? Back in 2007, there was a there was a a, a film. It was a it was an indie film and it was given away for free everywhere. It was like on YouTube and people were giving out discs and all this kind of stuff. And now it's in like uh 50 or 60 different languages and stuff like that. And it's uh it's a it's a three part movie called Zeitgeist, and and the first part's all about the connection of Christianity with sun like previous sun gods from the past, uh, which is very fascinating. Uh, I'm not I'm not anti religious by any means, uh, but it is a very fascinating. In the first in the first film, he he made subsequent films that are like very very anti religious, uh, which which I didn't really like that much because I'm I'm a religious person myself. But on the first video, the the way that they did it uh, was very matter of fact. It wasn't like fuck religion, fuck this, fuck that. It was just like, it was just facts, 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 facts. It was very like, um, very interesting, very fascinating. And then the second part 
of Zeitgeist was, I'm trying to remember, it's been so long. Uh, I think it was 9-11, something like that, and 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 Building 7 and kind of that whole thing. And then I think the third the third part of the film was international banking, uh, the Rothschilds, uh, the Rockefellers, the background on that and that kind of thing. And I had never been exposed to anything like this at all. Uh, not even, not even close. And, and it just ripped me open. Like a, I went home and I watched the, I watched the, the film over and over and over and over and over and over and over. I, I watched the film and I would just like cry and I would just like go through all these emotions. And like, I was just like, super fucked up from this, from this film. And like, I don't know what it was like in my head or whatever, but it was sort of like, I have to keep watching this over and over again in order to like really understand it. Uh, and I watched, I watched the film probably, I don't know, probably 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 times. And, and that was, that was pretty much my first huge, massive shift into into that whole kind of world, I guess you could say. So, so in 2007, I was, uh, 22, 23, no, 21. So I was 21 years old when I first started seeing, when I first saw Zeitgeist and then I, and then Zeitgeist 2 came out and they actually, uh, they actually got a theater here in Hollywood and, and the guy, Peter Joseph was there. And then this other dude was there for that, uh, that he has this kind of like whole economic system that he's developed. I forget the name of it, where it's like a, not a monetary based system. It's like a natural resource based system. And he was there and I just, it, it really kind of broke my heart because the, in the first zeitgeist that he does a great job of, of, of keeping his own opinions and emotions out. And in zeitgeist, so zeitgeist one was huge, exploded all over the internet. It was the biggest thing ever, uh, to some degree, I would say it almost still is. It's got, I'm looking at it right now. It's got 500,000 plus views on YouTube. It's been, it's been translated into, I don't know, 40 different languages, something like that. But Zeitgeist 2, he went off, he went off the deep end big time and started talking about, you know, anti-religious stuff and religion is the reason why everything's all screwed up. And then he, then they go into this whole economic system where what we need to do is we need to remove m money from the, from the economic system. And we need to go to a, a an all, uh, a, a natural resource based economy. And they had this, this kind of old white guy and he was talking about this kind of a thing. And I just kind of like, I was just like, Oh my God. And, 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 and it's funny because the first zeitgeist had picked up so much steam. And then after the second zeitgeist came out, it was like, it was all gone. It just like, nobody cared anymore. And I think that's why, uh, actually, no, there might've been a Zeitgeist 2 and then there was a Zeitgeist 3. I think Zeitgeist 2, actually, he didn't go off the deep end. I think it was actually the third one. I could be wrong. I think it's the third one, actually, where where they kind of went off the deep end entirely. But anyways, it, Zeitgeist 1 and I think maybe maybe 2 or, or, or 0.5 or whatever it was. These are pretty cool. I, I definitely would recommend to anyone, It's 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 been a while. Uh, what is that? 15 years, uh, 16 years since the, since the first film. So, but I would say it's all, it's all still pretty. I mean, I don't, I don't see any reason why I would say any of it wouldn't be applicable. I would say it's all still applicable. Great, great film, free, free film to watch on the internet. So that would be the, that'd be the initial, but that has nothing to do with any of the legal shit or, or anything else. I mean, that was, 
that was because I, I took over a company in, in LA uh, the past couple of years and, and the employment development department, which is like a payroll mafia police out here in California. Uh, they started fucking with me and started sending me stuff and started sending me bills and stuff like that. And, and that actually, I have some close friends that work at the company and, uh, that was how I started getting into all this legal stuff. That's a whole different animal. Um, I had been, I had been interested in a lot of these conspiracies and conspiracy theories, I guess you could say, I mean, Conspiracy, I mean, you know, I deal with words and the definitions of words, right? So we have this term conspiracy theory, right? Conspiracy, the definition would be like two or more people uh, planning on doing something nefarious and then obviously doing it would be like a conspiracy charge, right? And then the word theory would be like, you know, an idea that that may or may not be tied down by facts or evidence. So conspiracy just by itself is an interesting word because let's say, for example, you talk about uh, uh, the banking cartel and you say, like, I have evidence that the banking cartel does this, this and this. And, and I have like real actual laws and I have real actual definitions and I have real actual proof and evidence of these things occurring. That wouldn't be a conspiracy theory. That would be a conspiracy at that point. Right. So it's sort of like in the legal world, if if you can if you can if you can sway a jury, think about that. If you can sway a jury, it isn't a theory. It's a conspiracy. Uh, so, so to some degree, it's kind of an interesting conversation too, because it's like, where does the point of theory begin and end? Because the thing is, is that you can sway a jury just with emotions sometimes. So it's kind of an interesting conversation, but, uh, I've never really been much on, on theories. Uh, and I think that's why the Zeitgeist film really attracted me because, uh, of, of the amount of information and the amount of facts and the, and the, and the lack of emotion that he had on the first film or two films. Um, and the, the thing is, is that, you know, conspiracies are, are fascinating and it's like, you're digging for evidence and facts and and you're digging to connect the pieces together. Whereas with a conspiracy theory, I think it's more or less just people who like to get together and talk about their, their musings. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, uh, you know, so this is a history podcast, or at least we try to, we try to, we've, we've done a lot of work on history. I'll put it that way. But, um, once you know the little bit of context in this about the century in which we're living by examining the last two, your conspiracy theory is a joke. It's a conspiracy. Like if you understand what has happened, um, since, I mean, gosh, at least since the civil war in America, um, you don't have to worry about being called a conspiracy theorist because you just know it's a conspiracy. There's something messed up that's going on um several messed up things that have been going on for quite a while and you know the movie zeitgeist sounds like it was kind of like an information download where it suddenly gave you a pretty clear picture of where you stood as a human being um in this timeline and i feel like as far as this show goes you know we did all of our research and for years you know we spent 40 to 60 hours on an episode just researching it and then writing it was a whole other thing and then recording it was a whole other thing it's a ton of work, but you know what? It was all worth it because it, it allowed us and our listeners, especially those who listen to every episode, which I was just texting one, it's pretty cool. Um, it allows you really to stand head and shoulders above most of the normies out there because they simply don't know where they are. They're sort oh, of yeah. res- they're sort of responding to stimulus. And I think this is the situation with, you know, not to keep bagging on Hoosiers, but the situation with Hoosiers is they are content because there's nothing wrong yet. 
They can yeah. get they can get their they can get their Miller High Life and they can get their jorts and they can mow their lawn and everything's fine. But the moment you start to see something like I, I always say that my red pill moment was noticing a pothole. I was like, don't we have people who work on this stuff? And then realizing that there aren't people working on it and that I-65 has been under construction for my entire life and no one's ever been working on it. Um, it's like all that stuff amounts to something where you're like, we say we, <clears throat> and the que the big question I've been like throwing out, especially to guests or recently is like, isn't a society supposed to do something? Like, where's our mission? Aren't we supposed to do something other than just like sit in this holding pattern um, this stalled century, as I've come to call it, I got that from a, from another truther. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's like, it's like everything's on, on hold, but I don't want to ramble here. Uh, George, did you have any thoughts on this? I don't, I don't want to steal everything here. As I've sort of got two concurrent trains of thought running in my mind. One is, um, just thinking about how Kafka asked some of my experiences in the Midwest have been. Um, but I was thinking about what you were saying about the theory and etymology. So theory comes from the the greek theorein which is to spectate and it's of course the root of our same word theater in english and i'm trying to decide if that's meaningful in any way or not um the idea of theater of sort of a intentionally put on spectacle as as a means of distraction there's hmm. nothing yeah you know that, that's that's you know it, it there's nothing i don't really know where i'm going with this but it's there's nothing wrong with theorizing there's nothing wrong with theater because because you're right theater theater it, it's 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 like uh you know why do we watch tv because we enjoy entertainment what is entertainment it's 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 just something exciting to get us away from our problems or or, or a million different things it could possibly be but it's 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 not i don't necessarily think theories are bad i just there is there was a quote I saw recently where I, I forget the exact quote, but it was a guy and he was saying like, uh, you know, we we're all put on this earth just to basically fart around for 80 years and, and don't ever let anybody else tell you anything otherwise <laughs> to some degree, to some degree that is true because it's, 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 you know, the idea that, that we want to leave behind a legacy through our children through our work, through all these different things. It's like, I mean, even the Beatles, even, even Michael Jackson, even uh, the most epic, you know, Muhammad Ali, even the most epic individuals are, we, we are seeing that even the most epic individuals, even the most epic groups, even the most, the most, uh, you know, household names, even after, you know, 70, 80 years, they disappear. And it's just kind of like, it's, it's, you know, one of my favorite authors in the whole world, his name is Zan Perian. And he writes a book. I'm actually a member of of his kind of inner cloister called the Amirati. And he wrote a book called The Alabaster Girl, which is all about women and love and and romance, it, but in a in a in a more of a male perspective, not like a, a sappy kind of more female perspective. And one of the things that he says in the book is that is that beauty by definition has to die. Nothing can be beautiful unless there's unless there is an end to it. It's it's a it, it, there's a wispiness to beauty where it's like it's only beautiful because it it will be gone like a rose. The rose is only truly beautiful for like a very short time and then it's gone. Uh, it's like, a, it's like even like a dog, a dog is only going to be with you 10 to 15 years. So 
it's like it's so beautiful to have a relationship with a dog or or have a dog in the family or or have dogs around because because it's it's the end of that it's the it's the death of that and the short path of that that makes it beautiful or 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 something that that quickly dies or or escapes or leaves your 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 clutches or your grasp it's like it's so valuable because it because it goes away you know and it's like same thing with a woman with a woman it's like it's like beauty is is so incredible because it doesn't really last that long i mean most there's all these studies and all these things now where it's like uh you know women w- the glory days of a woman is is in her 20s and then after that it's just it's it's you know it's like the women start on top in their 20s they're on top of the fucking world they're like high value beautiful you know they can do whatever they want they can go anywhere they want everything's free i mean to some degree if, if a woman wants to live like that they can then in their thirties, they start to, it's the opposite. And then the forties and the fifties. And it's like, you see it a lot in California. You see these women, like by the time they hit their late forties, they're, they're going like insane. They, they, they're getting all this plastic surgery and they're, 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 they're desperate. They're desperate for beauty and they're running after it. They're willing to do anything and they destroy themselves trying to turn the clock back. It's, it's very prevalent in California. I've never seen anything like it. Uh, it's the opposite of content. Hmm. And the thing is, is it's, um, it's just kind of one of those things where with men, it's the polar opposite. In my twenties, I mean, dude, I was, I mean, you, even in a trash heap, I would be the lowest value thing there. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And then, and then in your thirties, you're, you're kind of sort of starting to build some value kind of at the beginning of your thirties. And then by the end of your thirties, you're like, kind of starting to like climb out of the dumpster. It's like a raccoon who got stuck in the dumpster. You see those videos on Facebook or, or on, <laughs> on Instagram and they, they stick the piece of wood in there so that the raccoon can get out. It's like you get that piece of wood probably somewhere around 35 years old. And then you come out of the dumpster, you smell like shit. You don't know a goddamn thing about anything. By the time you hit, you know, I'm almost 40. I'm 30, almost 38. You just kind of start getting a hang of things around maybe 40. And then, and then by the time you're 50 or 60, you become what's, what's called, if you continue a, a high value male. And that's why in today's society, you see these 25, 26 year old girls. And you have these jokes about like Leonardo DiCaprio, they turn 26 and he throws them overboard and all this kind of thing. It's, uh, it's, it's men, men don't have that until they've worked their ass off until they're 50 or 60 or, or, or years old or whatever. So it's, it's a completely different world because, you know, seven years ago, we didn't have any of that. It was just, it was very simple in your twenties, you meet someone or, or in your hell in high school or your late teens, you meet someone, you, you get married, you start having kids. Uh, you, you know, going off to war was a big part of, of, of life way back in the day, uh, you know, but working and having kids and having a home and just kind of, th- there was none of this like high value twenties, female, high value, 50, sixties male system. It, it, it sort of like shifted throughout the sixties, seventies, eighties, nineties, two thousands. And it's, it's fascinating for me because I, 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 I have worked tremendously tremendously hard and i was like totally broke and worthless my whole life so it's just kind of like a very it's a very interesting thing because it's sort of like it's sort of like another thing that zan talks about in his book is what is the definition of beauty for a man 
and the, the way he defines the definition of beauty for a man is is a a drive and a passion to accomplish something bigger than himself ideally something that he cannot accomplish in one lifetime and that's the exact and you ask almost any woman they go yeah well that's 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 pretty much it and that's why uh it, it's just a very i don't even know how i got into this i could talk about this kind of stuff for hours but but i don't even remember what I, how i got onto this to be honest with you <laughs> that's okay that's okay we like rambly little answers like little we like rambly big answers okay good because uh, i'm yeah. i'm good at that well i i think uh one i think that's a that's a very astute analysis i'm actually about a month away from 30 and when you described the raccoon in the trash can i was like yeah that's pretty much what it feels like <laughs> um i so I love this perspective. I love this perspective on, especially what what's considered beautiful for men. It just sounds like virility. You you have this this drive, like you said, to do something bigger than yourself, and that possibly will take more than your you know like allotted lifespan. Um, I know for me, like finding that ambition and figuring out where to go, it's kind of hard when you don't have the plank. But once that plank starts getting lowered, uh, you start to see things a lot differently, and you start to go after things that you think. If you're a man about it, you, you try to go after things like, I don't know, truth, wisdom, you know, love, that sort of thing. You try to go after those bigger things. But when you're a young guy, man, you're just you're just trying to get to that apple core at the bottom of the trash heap. You know, it's like just gotta kick around for a little longer. But uh Seriously. I, yeah. I mean, I don't know, George, if you feel the same way, but we're about the same age. <laughs> what do you mean? I've still got what do, what do I have? Like a year longer than you before I hit 30. Yeah. So I'll let you know what it's like so, on the so other like, side. Buddy. Yeah. So, so the, the plank, the plank hasn't been lowered. The plank <laughs> is not in sight. I can hear footsteps outside the dumpster, but the plank is not in sight. I mean, 30, 30 for me was like, uh, like God himself reached down and grabbed me by the throat and shook me so violently. It practically dislocated my shoulders. That's 30, 30 for me was like, holy shit. Yet I am in a dumpster. Like that, yeah. was, that was 30 was 30 was like uh, it was it was I don't know even know why or what happened, but it was like, oh my God. It was like getting hit by a truck. So was it it definitely wasn't turning 30, but something happened. And I would love to hear more about your story um about how you eventually became, as you said, this is what you do all day is talk to people on podcasts and things. Yeah. So, so I turned 30 and I was like, dude, I, I like literally have to fucking like stop being a retard, literally like mm -hmm. it has to end. And, uh, I had a lot of fun. Don't get me wrong. I got no, no regrets, but, but it had to end. It was, that was it. It was, it was time for that to end. Uh, and, and so I started studying a lot of books. I started studying a lot of books on marketing and sales and business. And I started studying Dan S. Pena. And I started studying Dan S. Kennedy. And I started studying all these different people like Russell Brunson and this other dude, uh, Jerry Spence, who wrote the book, uh, How to Argue and Win Every Time, which, by the way, is an absolutely mind-blowing book. Uh, this dude's a lawyer. He's like, uh, he's involved in a lot of Indian tribes. Very, very, very fascinating person. Jerry Spence, highly recommended. But a, a lot of books, Dan Espina. I mean, I could go on and on and on. There's so many different people. Um, Oren Clough, uh, pitch anything. Uh, just I, I read probably two hundreds, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books. Uh, 
before I was probably about 32 or 33. Like, I don't know. I was just the, the plank went, I don't even know. It wasn't even like the plank came down. It was just like, I just like, holy, I, I went into like freak out mode. Like, holy fuck, I'm in a dumpster. I, I have to do something about it. I'm not even sure if I had a plank. I think I just, over the course of two years, I think I stacked enough garbage up to be able to get out without a plank. Uh, because <laughs> by the time I hit 33, I I started to really get it. And I started to really kind of like get sort of like that fierce kind of laser beam focused eyes kind of a looking thing. And I started blowing up my business. I was working in a dental office. I started doing all this stuff. I started making money uh, at about 33. Before that, I mean, every meal was a struggle. I was living in New York City, Chicago, LA, but it was just like, I never had any money. I never had anything. Um, good friends. I had good friends. It's about it. And uh, so, you know, 33 hit and and everything kind of changed. It was sort of like my my transformation from 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 30 to 33 had been completed uh, to no longer be retarded. Uh, I had completed that project. And at about 33 and and I started making quite a bit of money and I started like uh, uh, I wrote my first book, which is Don't Be a Slave to Your Clients, Break Your Chains and Regain Your Sanity. And it's a it's all about installing uh, marketing and sales systems and filters into your business. Like, for example, the key, the big the big secret of, of all of my business success has been a, a free educational courses, which is why I have my free educational course, the contract killer course, which I can talk about. But uh, so in the dental office, we created the free holistic dental course. So it's basically like tons of information on like root canals, the dangers of root canals. When are they actually needed? Crowns. How does it work? Most people don't even know that they they grind your tooth down to a tiny little nub and they oftentimes cause the nerve to inflame to the point where you need a root canal just by doing a crown and there's alternatives, right? Different types of materials, different types of, uh, this is with uh, Dr. Paul O'Malley, which is uh, www.drpaulomalley.com. I don't, I'm not there anymore, but uh, the the free holistic dental course is still there. If anyone wants to sign up for that, it's pretty awesome. Uh, I, I was the one who wrote and shot all the video. Uh, and then I have a landscaping company and we have a free landscaping education course. We talk about demolition. That's uh, uh, droughtscapela.com. And it's a lot. The the courses, a lot of the courses, the first two courses, it's like five or six or seven hours of material, uh, one video per day for a series of, you know, 18 to 25 days. And then when I created all this legal stuff and I created all this crazy law stuff, I created a free course for that. That's like totally insane. It's It's a video per day for 39 days. It's 24 hours of material. And like that, when I started doing that, I was about 33 years old and I realized that's what I needed to do. And I created all these paid ads and I created all this marketing and I funneled everyone into the free course. I wasn't trying to sell anybody anything. All I wanted to do was just give away this free course. Okay. And, and there's a whole style of handling uh, prospects that I developed where you just put them in the free course. They go through the free course. They call you, they have questions. You just put them back in the free course. It's sort of like a cooker and they get like tons and tons and tons of value from the free course. And they come out the other side and they trust you. They love you and they want to work with you and they don't have a lot of price resistance. Okay. Because they, they like, for example, my courses, by the time you finish the free holistic dental course, you know, more than most dentists. 
I mean, literally, it's actually kind of pathetic, right? When you finish my, my contract killer course, the, the law course, you know, more than most lawyers, hell, you know, more than most judges probably. Uh, so, so, you know, and you can run absolute circles around police or, or, uh, or lawyers. I mean, like as if they're, they don't even exist. So it's one of those things where it's, it's not about just a bunch of horse shit. It's about like, you know, I spent a lot of time and a lot of effort, just like kind of how you guys talk about you do for the history stuff. And I put together a course that really educates the fuck out of you about something that most people don't know anything about and they should, or they want to, right? Like, like, uh, like, like teeth, people have teeth issues and it's like, nobody knows anything. Dennis don't even want to talk to you. Uh, so, so what do you do? Where do you go? Well, you can go on YouTube and find these really boring fucked up videos where they use all these Latin terms to describe everything. How are you supposed to learn anything? So that when I created, can I I jump in for a second to tell you that the first time I ever heard the name Rothschild was when I was five and it was from my dentist. No shit. <laughs> yeah. Who was just, it would talk about the Rothschilds and the Illuminati and stuff. Well, you know, and I'm like literally like five, six years old. I can't talk. I've got, you know, the little thing, the, uh, you know, the sprayer and whatnot in my mouth. And he's just talking about the new world order. <laughs> that's, that's a gangster dentist right there. I'm, oh my God. <laughs> he's in uh he's in federal, he's in federal prison now. Oh, too bad. Why? Why did he, why? Uh, he tried to kidnap a judge who ruled against him in his kid's custody case. Oh, that's always fun. That, that'll do <laughs> yeah. it. That'll do it. Yeah. So, yeah, it was funny. We went the de- we you mentioned the Rothschilds earlier, then we went the dental direction because it brought me right back. <laughs> yeah, that's that's crazy. Okay, that's that's a crazy dentist. I mean, dentistry is, I mean, I mean, I know a lot of dentists because I've been in the industry. Most dentists are pretty, they're pretty conservative Just don't they have even, one of the highest suicide rates they actually profession? do yes they, i think it's actually the highest yes i believe Ooh. it's the highest in the it's it's funny dentistry is fascinating it's not something i want to talk about a whole lot uh but 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 first and foremost uh uh one secret for dentists or people who are family with uh people who are dentists dentists by far have the the lowest risk rate for uh financial anything like when you go to a bank if you're a dentist, you're you're like the literally number one profession in terms of paying back loans and and getting loans and safety of loans. And and literally if you're a dentist or you know someone who's a dentist, you can pretty much get as mu- literally infinite credit. Like to the point where they'll they'll give you almost anything and if one place won't just go somewhere else uh it's kind of a weird thing that most dentists don't even know uh second thing is it is that literally i believe it's the highest suicide rate industry of any industry on the planet actually uh and there there are there are various thought processes behind why that might be uh one of them being that uh, you know, 55% of dentists in America still place mercury amalgam fillings and they Ooh. remove them without any safety protocols. So you're hanging over this person and you're literally drilling mercury and, and you're creating when they, when they drill out those mercury fillings, it, it, the mercury turns into a vapor, obviously. Right. And and the thing about mercury that people don't realize is that you can actually swallow a mercury filling. People call me all the time. They're freaking out. Oh, my God, I swallowed mercury filling, blah, blah, blah. 
doesn't mean shit. Ain't going to do shit. Uh, breathing the vapors of mercury. Now that'll fuck you up because it goes straight past a lot of the filters and it goes straight into the bloodstream. And then, and then for whatever reason, this is like some weird shit. Uh, the nervous system is where the mercury loves to go. The nervous system and mercury are like, are like long lost lovers. And, and so all the mercury likes to sit in your brain. Basically, that's where that's where it likes to go. And and for some reason, it's almost as if because you go, you talk about chelation and stuff like that. It'll just move the mercury around. It won't even come out of the body a lot of times because it's like the body almost like acts as though it like loves this shit like it needs it or wants it so fucking bad, like some insane like love shit. So it's kind of a weird it's kind of a weird conversation. But basically, um, that that's in the, in the holistic arena. That's what a lot of the holistic dentists think might be contributing to such a high suicide rate is, is the constant super intense exposure to the, the gaseous version, which is the most dangerous version of mercury. That's insane. Wow, that's wild. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I had, um, so what I like about what you're describing here is so like to go back to the, uh, the dental video on YouTube and like how it's all oh, in Latin and you know, you're too dumb to understand this. Exactly. You, now, exactly. You, now your whole whole thing is like no bullshit free courses. That's literally our podcast. Like yeah. bullshit history is a waste of time. You know, our show is is evergreen. You can go back and listen to it. It's it's gonna age only because, you know, we got older as we made it and our mics got better the further we got along and the more donors <laughs> we got, right? Um, but the reality, the reality of it is is People are looking for that right now. They're looking for no bullshit stuff. Like here's here's the fast and dirty stuff you need to know. And I, man, I know you. I know you've been in a class where you've had a professor or a teacher try to explain something in the most cryptic way they know how, just so they can feel smarter than you. Oh yeah, I mean that's 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 uh, that is. I mean, I hate to say it. That's college. I mean, that's high school too. Uh. You know, it's like these people are getting paid absolutely dirt, getting paid, you know, $36,000 a year in high school to teach kids. It's like, that's all they've got is that superiority idea. That's pretty much all they have left. I mean, uh, you know, so yeah, I mean, I mean, you, you come out of college, you come out of high school. I mean, bro, like what, what, what do you use? from your high school years. I use, you know, I had a, I had a, a class on, uh, on, on how to get a job and how to do job interviews and, and they would make you get up in front of the class and do speeches and they would, they would do role plays on coming in, shaking their hands, sitting down, answering questions like that. I use uh, basic writing, you know, basic, basic spelling, basic writing uh, that I use obviously super, super ultra basic math, like fucking first grade shit. I use that. Um, and, and I don't use really anything else. I mean, you have all these different math classes, you have calculus, you have trigonometry, you have, uh, algebra one, algebra two, algebra 69. You've got, uh, uh, environmental science. Uh, you've got science classes, which depending on what you do, they're kind of cool, but it's like how, like, like, you know, what, what is the real applicability of this? Right. And and when I was, because I grew up in Indiana, we had, we even had wood shop, which I don't use 
but it but it is cool. It is it, it's sort of like I think Woodshop is cool in a way because it's sort of like it's like you can just take this fucking thing and drill into it and do this crazy shit and just do whatever you want. It's sort of like an empowerment. It's, I feel like there's a spiritual side to something like Woodshop because it's like you're doing it and you're like you're walking around now in life and you see a piece of wood and you're like, oh, yeah, I could just bend that thing over and just drill into it or whatever. You know what I mean? Like and fucking throw it on the wall or or stick another piece of wood on it or glue something to it. It's It's sort of like a... It's almost like if they just renamed Woodshop, like, you know, basic control of like the material universe or something like that, it'd be kind of a fascinating swap from from Woodshop into like a philosophy because it's like, how do you control glass? How how is glass made? Like, what what if what if there wasn't just a Woodshop, but it was like a like a basic elements class and it was like. Yeah wood shop like what is wood what is the properties of wood what can you do with wood how do you screw into wood how do you how do you glue onto wood how do you stain wood and then there's glass how do you make glass a lot of people don't realize i, I don't know how it all works but i think glass is made from like like sand and they and they heat it up and they burn it or something it's it's kind of a wild so so it's like how does that work and how do you make glass and how do you how do you shape glass and how do you color glass and then you could do like uh like basic pottery. How does that work? How does clay? Because pottery comes from clay, right? So I think like I think that that there's a a, a more of a, a larger philosophy to the basic elements of like clay, sand, uh, wood, uh, plastic, you know. Because I mean almost everything comes from those basic elements, you know. So it's kind of one of those things where uh, that, that I use, but kind of not really for like the specific reasoning, but for like more of that reason, I found it fascinating. And then, I mean, what else do you use? What right. else do you use? You don't really, you don't really, I'm trying to think of, of what else, you know, like what else I really use from, from high school. I don't, I don't think there's much of anything else that I really use. And I think and, it's, and, a, I think it's an important point you make though, that the simple, manipulation of the material that the the, the uh, tactile nature using your hands to do something you know everything nowadays is all in your head and it's all theory and theoretical and um you know here memorize this memorize that it's not it's not here's how to think or here's here's how you can think more clearly it's think this do this be this uh and you know the gradual reduction of classes and courses that I mean, at least where I live, I'm seeing a reversal of that. They're trying to bring things like woodshop back, which is really nice because, you know, when I was in high school, we didn't have any of that. Uh, the closest thing we had was drawing, and that was, you know, it wasn't even that good of a course, but it doesn't matter. Um, I think the the drive of a lot of main education now is to turn you into a happy little, maybe even self, uh, what would be the word, uh, a disappointing little work drone that they can plug you into whatever nonsense you happen to get because the algorithm picked your resume out of thousands, got you the interview, got you the job. And now you're so scared of being unemployed. Uh, you stay at the job that you hate because, you know, you can't imagine being able to do anything yourself, you know? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, now that I kind of got more of an idea of what you guys kind of cover on the show and, and we can, we can go right into, more of what I do here because I think uh 
you know, I've done a lot of research in, into the past and kind of what happened in, in the, the Organic Act of 1871 uh, is actually when they incorporated the entire U.S. government. So the government, the old government, the non-incorporated government was was gone and there was a brand new incorporated government, which runs as a business. And we've had that ever since. The big, the big part of the Organic Act of 1871 that, that, was the enticing aspect that they used that was the main thing as far as I can tell from my research that they used to get this thing in and and running was the free public school system. If you look in the organic act, they talk about that, right? And that was the big seller. That was the big, that was the big thing, right? And and it's like, okay, so if that's true, then it makes sense because we we also have a decline of 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 actually important good things that people learn in school since 1871 all the way through the late 1800s into the 1900s all the way through. I mean, you know, in my, in my high school, they had gun class as late as like the fifties or the sixties, even like, like my dad remembers gun gun classes. So maybe even like the seventies and eighties or something like that. But, um, so so the the historical aspect of of the public school system is a huge aspect of the entire sale of our entire <laughs> because what happened was around 1871 a lot of things changed like that that was pretty much like one of the most important periods of our entire history right at the end of the civil war where we, during the reconstruction process there was so, so, so two, two, some of the biggest things ever happened. First off, the entire government was incorporated. That's huge. Uh, the, the public school system was born. That's huge. Uh, the, the reconstruction, the 14th amendment is, is huge. The 14th amendment split the entire country into two different citizenship classes, which to this day, almost nobody knows there's two different types of citizenship. Uh, and they're totally different than one another and almost everyone's in the wrong one. Uh, and and also one of the most massive things that happened around that time period in 1871 is the redefining of the word person. So the word person before 1871, it meant a human being. After 1871, the definition of the word person means an individual, an estate, a partnership, a trust, a corporation, or an association. So legal persons such as a corporation after 1871, after the incorporate incorporation of the government are now have been, and have been since that time period classified as persons. So what's happening is, is that you have a world now where you're signing all these documents and you're doing all these things and you're going through your life. And they say the word person, person, person on the documentation. And, and you have no idea if they're referring to, you as an individual, if they're referring to an association, if they're referring to a trust, if they're referring to a corporation, a partnership, you have absolutely no idea. And and the redefining of the word person is actually probably the the most deadly change that has ever occurred. And 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 honestly, if I had to point to a specific point in our entire history where the the birth of the demise of the United States of America was born. It was probably born when they redefined the word person. And what 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 actually made them do this? 
So, so they did this because the, the thing is, is that, so, so in, in 18, so the 14th amendment, the 14th amendment talks about a federal citizen and a state citizen. Okay. And what happened was in, in 1871, the Supreme court, there, there was a series of court cases called the slaughterhouse cases where they, they really dug into the 14th amendment and they were trying to figure out what the fuck did it mean? Right. And basically what they determined was after the, the civil war, when they were reconstructing America, they, they, they ended slavery, but they, but the, the people in the, in the States, in the actual States of America, they didn't want the slaves to have all the full rights of a state citizen, which is what they called it in 1871. Uh, but they, they didn't, they, 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 it was basically a happy medium where, okay, we're going to let these guys go. They no longer have to um, deal with involuntary servitude, but we're definitely not giving them all the rights of a, of a true American. We're going to give them what's called civil rights. And they open basically the 14th amendment is what split the, the, the country into these two categories, federal citizen and state citizen. Now, the craziest thing about this, and you can look through the slaughterhouse cases is when they really kind of dug into this in great detail, which is Supreme Court cases. Uh, the crazy thing about this is those two classifications of federal citizen and state citizen still exist to this day. And the federal citizen, which is the one that that the slaves are released into, is now called U.S. citizen. And the state citizen is called national, the word national. I know my website's a state national and we can get into that and all that. But that's not what the actual code, U.S. code says. The U.S. code says just, just the word national. It's not capitalized. Lowercase n-a-t-i-o-n-a-l, national. And when you look at an I-9 form, which is the employment eligibility and verification form, they call it a non-citizen national of the United States. So it's, so it's, it's, there's a few different terms, non-citizen national, national, uh, but, but the national is the same thing as the state citizen. So what's funny is, is that over the years through TV and media and just nobody knowing, and through the dumbing down of the, the quote, free public school system since 1971, They've basically completely buried all of this information and they've gotten all of us to to basically admit. And, and this all comes down to the definition of the word naturalization from uh, 8 U.S.C. Uh, 1101 subsection A23. And, and I can uh, pull this up because this is it's actually very, very simple how all this works and how the whole U.S. citizen versus national thing works, because. When you look up the definition of the term naturalization, it's it's the most mind-blowing thing you'll ever see. And, and I'm going to read it right here to you guys. The term naturalization means the conferring of nationality of a state upon a person after birth by any means whatsoever. So the way that works is, and then if you look at uh, uh, 28 USC 3002, uh, subsection 15 definition A, it says uh, United States means a federal corporation. They're very clear about this. Since 1871, the, the United States, the term United States is referring to a federal corporation. And then you want to find out where is that corporation located. You go to UCC, which stands for the Uniform Commercial Code, 9-307 subsection H 
and I'm going to read it to you. It says here, location of United States. The United States is located in the District of Columbia. So United States is a state. It's not actually has nothing to do with the 50 independent nation states of the union. United States is actually its own state. It's a small corporation located in the District of Columbia. So naturalization. The term naturalization means the conferring of nationality of a state upon a person after birth by any means whatsoever. So so your voter registration, you are naturalizing into United States, which is a private for-profit federal corporation located in the District of Columbia. On your driver's license, when you do the application, it asks you, are you a U.S. citizen? If you click yes on that, you just naturalized into a federal corporation located in the District of Columbia. Uh, certain tax forms, such as a W-9 tax form, you sign that tax form under penalty of perjury that you are a U.S. citizen or other U.S. person, which is really complicated because the definition of the word person includes corporations, associations, and partnerships and trusts. Uh, if you sign a W-9 form and you mail it in, you are by definition naturalizing into United States. Now, when you naturalize into United States, you become a federal citizen and you're basically giving up your state citizenship. State citizenship is where things like the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the Second Amendment, the First Amendment, the Ninth Amendment, those things are only located in the states. They're not located in the District of Columbia, otherwise known as United States. So when you when you naturalize as a U.S. citizen, which means literally just saying it, according to the term naturalization from AUSC 1101 subsection A23, you're effectively giving up all of your rights. And you're basically in law moving into a foreign incorporated zone. And when you study this in great detail, you learn that basically the way they look at it is you're, you're actually becoming a volunteer employee or officer of this basically giant corporation. And you basically kind of move there in the law. And that's basically how this whole thing works. It gets, it gets obviously a whole lot crazier than that. For example, when you were born, uh, when they processed your birth certificate at the Department of Health and Human Services, they opened up a corporation. It's called a public corporation. And they tell you very, very clearly in uh, in Black's Law Dictionary, if you if you look up in Black's Law Dictionary, because I'm like racking my, my head so long, so hard trying to figure out what, what really is a corporation, because you've got trust, you've got corporations. It's like, it's like, what is it really? And I'm like going, you know, it's like six pages of definitions. And I'm going through all these different definitions, trying to figure out what is the actual delineating legal definition of a corporation? And there's a section in the definition of corporation that talks about a public corporation. It blew my mind. It's, it, here's the definition. A public corporation is one created by the state for political purposes and to act as an agency in the administration of civil government. So what happened was, is they created a business, which is a person. And they trick you into identifying as that business, which is a person. And that is the secret behind how the world is so fucked up and why people don't know why they don't have their rights. 
you don't have your rights because you've naturalized and identified with a business and you've naturalized into a foreign corporate zone. And this whole thing is basically a, a black magic campaign where they they get you to say the incantation. And once that you once you utter the incantation, they now are justified to strip you of all of your rights and treat you as though you are a business because you've identified with your, yourself as a business located in their corporate world. And that's basically in a nutshell all of my research and everything that I do and how kind of all of this works. And we work to regain control over that public corporation through doing a trademark on the public corporation, through doing name change processes on the public corporation. Uh, we do, we do DBA filings uh, on the, on the public corporation. The public corporation is just your name in all capital letters. Uh, it, it's that simple, literally. And and you'll see on all your bills, on everything that comes from the government, everything that comes from the IRS, your name is always in all capital letters. Well, you got to realize you can go out and open up a trust of your name in all capital letters right now in five seconds. So, so it's very, very easy to open up a corporation or open up a trust and name it whatever you want. You can name it someone else's name. That's how they do identity theft. They, they just go and open up a trust or a corporation and they name the corporation your name. And then they get your social security number or whatever, and they file for unemployment and they put the address of where to send the check. They get the check and they deposit it in the corporation account, Brandon Joe Williams Corporation. So the, the, this is not like terribly difficult or terribly complicated or, or impossible. It's just that it's hard for people to swallow because it's, it's, it's fraud and slavery on, on, on such an, a massive level that it's difficult for most people to be able to swallow the pill on this one, so to speak. Yeah. So that's a, why a couple, a couple things. One, I think that's the best I've ever heard it explained. So thank you. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that I was going to say, um, was yes, I'm also glad that you said this is clearly fraud and slavery because it's illegal. Whatever this is, it's it's this this. I mean, I don't know. I don't even know how you could say it is not those things. Yeah, but it seems yeah. like they just call it something that it's not, and they're like, oh, so we're legally good now. But I know, <clears throat> I can tell you, I'm interested in this, but I also know that George has a different perspective than me. Um, George, does this? Are you all tracking with this or? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm listening. Are you aware of this stuff? I'm, Were you aware of this stuff before the conversation? Uh, I've, I've read a decent amount into it. Uh, you know, mostly I'm on my phone at four a.m. when I can't sleep. Uh, but I've read quite a bit of stuff on the internet about this. Yeah. Um, no, I will say that yeah, this is much a much clearer explanation than I'd had heretofore. <laughs> Everyone tells me that, so I understand. Uh, yeah, I, I dig, I, I, I dig for the definition of everything, meaning like every single word like i'll spend four five six months just trying to clear up the definition of the word money just trying to clear up the definition of the word citizen i'll dig through court cases trying to trying to where they talk about the because a lot of court cases talk about the definitions of words all court cases supreme court cases acts they all start with the definition section and so you know, I'm I'm always constantly digging in terms of what is the definition of literally every single word, and can I can I deepen my understanding of of every single word? For example, the word state, 
Most people believe that the word state means one of the 50 states of the union. That's not the definition of the word state at all. The word state and the word nation actually have the same intrinsic definition. And the definition of the word state actually means uh, basically, basically a group of people. It doesn't have anything to do with location or territory that have good internal tranquility and, and they operate well as a unit and, and they basically have good like decorum and they have good morals and they operate as a moral person, as a body. And they also have excellent external tranquility and external relations with other nations uh, or other states. So you're seeing things like micronations popping up, like for example, Slojamistan out here in California. These are, these are legal countries. You can actually create your own country legally in about five minutes. And the way that you do it, it, it comes from the definition of uh, foreign government, which comes from 18 U.S.C. 11. 18 U.S.C. 11, right in our own United States Code, it says, 18 U.S.C. 11, foreign government defined. The definition of the term foreign government, it says here, the term foreign government includes any government, faction, or body of insurgents within a country with which the United States is at peace. Now, remember, United States uh, definition is a federal corporation located in the District of Columbia. Back to the definition now. Irrespective of recognition by the United States. So you can have your own foreign government by simply stating, because naturalization is the conferring of nationality, of a state upon a person after birth by any means whatsoever. Now the word person means individual trust, partnership, estate. So you can actually, it's, it's super crazy because, because corporations, trusts, and associations, they can all be U.S. citizens. And that's also part of the U.S. code as well. They're very clear about that. I forget exactly where I would need to search for them and to find that. So basically you can confer nationality upon your own trusts and businesses. That's how crazy this is, right? So let's say let's say you wanted to create a nation and it was going to be called uh, uh, We Talk to Dead People Nation, or you could even make an acronym out of it, right? Now, the definition of the word nation has nothing to do with a location or territory at all whatsoever. And, and that's actually proven even in the, uh, the passport. When you start going down the passport rabbit hole, for example, people see like uh, diplomatic immunity, they see diplomatic plates, United Nations. The United Nations is not a location. The United Nations is a nation. It's a group of individuals. Wow, that, this is a this is up for debate. It's a group of individuals that 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 supposedly have good internal relations and external relations. So so the United Nations is a state or nation, even though it's not necessarily a location. Do you see that? So in the in the in the passport, when you start going on the passport rabbit hole. They call it an ambassador at large. And when you look up a lot of information about what an ambassador at large is, they, they have a title and they represent a group and the group that they actually uh, uh, say in the passport manual that they give as an example of a group that would have an ambassador at large is a, a global women's issues. Global women's issues is not a location or a territory. It's a nation. So what happens is, is that Naturalization is the conferring of nationality of a state upon a person after birth by any means whatsoever. So you can literally confer nationality of a made-up state upon yourself after birth by any means whatsoever, and that nation is a foreign government 
as long as it's at peace with the federal corporation that's located in the District of Columbia, and that foreign government does not need any official or unofficial recognition by the United States. So you would actually create a relationship with the Department of the Interior. And the thing is, is that you are becoming a foreign diplomat of your own foreign nation. And this is the exact same process that tribes do when they create tribal areas. And then people talk about the casinos and the casinos don't pay taxes and the police can't go into the tribe areas. Well, yes, because the tribes have their own tribal police because that's a separate country. And that's essentially how this all works. This is very, very active. You can find it anywhere. You go to any tribe, you go to like Oklahoma, which is like more than I think a, a huge percentage of Oklahoma is these special Indian tribes. They have legal sections inside these tribes. And this is what they operate off of. They operate off of all of this information. Those tribes are entirely separate nations. This is crazy, man. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I know what, George, I know what I'm getting you for Christmas. I'm getting you a country. It's, it's going to be called um, White Monstertopia. How's that sound? <laughs> Did I just spoil the surprise? Oh, well. Merry Christmas. <laughs> I don't so mean this, to, I don't so mean to come across as glib, but the, you're, you're explaining this so well, I'm actually getting it. I'm like literally leaning forward in my office chair like, wow, I think I understand this a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty because uh, I, I mean, I didn't stop until I was like, I want definitions for everything. And I want I want I want to find the best ones, the ones that explain the situation the best. And I just I just all I do is just dig for definitions. That's I mean, if you were to take what I do in my research style into its ultimate simplicity, that's really all I do is I just dig for definitions and I plug them in. That's all I do. That's so, all I do on this show. Whenever I'm researching, I'm literally just looking for context. Why did this yeah. happen? How did we yeah. get here? <laughs> so the, the black magic associated with words all comes down to the definitions. And, and when you start to really, really focus on the definitions and the derivations and the etymology and the parts of speech and the sections of words, and it just goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And then you start to get this sort of like, in my opinion, this is what the matrix is. Because when you, when you hear a word, it's just a series of symbols. Those series of symbols gives you ideas and actions and everything else. And it's like, what, what we're doing is we're clearing the symbology of the universe. And, and for example, my, my nation's called the nation of the amnesty coalition. And, and the reason why I created the, the amnesty coalition is because what, what is the, because you start, you look at the definition of foreign government, 18 USC 11, and, and the first thought I had, right? Actually, no, it wasn't the first thought I had. It should have been the first thought I had. I didn't think about it until maybe three months later after I had talked about it like crazy because I was so excited about finding it. What is the definition of the word peace, especially in relation to a lot of things that we're experiencing in today's world, right? So mm. I found a definition of the word peace and that blew my mind because the definition of the word peace is almost exactly the same as the definition of the word nation which is like fucking insane, right? So so I'll go ahead and read these because I, I think these are so crazy and important. I think that you guys would love it and I think your readers would love it. So, so here's the definition of the word nation. This actually comes from a court case, actually a quote from a court case because I looked at definitions everywhere and I didn't really find anything that really clicked. 
And then I saw these guys were talking about the definition in a court case and, and this, this ripped this whole thing wide open. And they use this definition in a lot of like government websites and stuff like that too. And they, they list the, the court case it came from definition of nation, an independent body politic, a society of men united together for the purpose of promoting their mutual safety and advantage by the joint efforts of their combined strength. But every combination of men who govern themselves independently of all others will not be considered a nation. A body of pirates, for example, who govern themselves are not a nation. To constitute a nation, another ingredient is required. The body thus formed must respect other nations in general and each of their members in particular. Such a nation has her affairs and her interests. She deliberates and takes resolutions in common, thus becoming a moral person who possesses an understanding and will peculiar to herself and is susceptible of obligations and rights. So it's, it's, it's the same thing as a human body. It's a bunch of cells that come together cohesively as a human body. A nation is the exact same thing. In a human body, if you go around treating everyone like shit, you're bound to get killed or wind up in a prison cell. It's the same basic underlying thing. It's it's a bunch of human bodies or minds that come together collectively and form a larger political body, that of which has good internal... Well, now we go to peace. Peace is peace. Now check this out. Peace fits in perfectly. The tranquility enjoyed by a political society internally by the good order which reigns among its members and externally by the good understanding it has with all other nations. Applied to the internal regulations of a nation, peace imports, in a technical sense, not merely a state of repose and security as opposed to one of violence or warfare, but likewise a state of public order and decorum. Then, then it goes even deeper because then we start getting into, okay, so what makes up a nation? Diplomatic relations. So who is in charge of diplomatic relations? Ambassadors. What's the definition of an ambassador? In international law, a public officer clothed with high diplomatic powers, commissioned by a sovereign prince or state, to transact the international business of his government at the court of the country to which he is sent. So when you, when you confer nationality of a state that you've created upon yourself or a person, you can actually confer that nationality even on your businesses or your trusts, after birth, by any means whatsoever, you now have a foreign government as long as that foreign government is at peace. If it's not at peace, it wouldn't be a foreign government. Now, once you're at peace and once you have your own foreign government and once you have your own nation, what are you? You are now the ambassador. How does the passport system look at that? They call it ambassador at large. So I am an ambassador at large for the Amnesty Coalition, and that is a completely legal situation. And I print up my own diplomatic license plates and I have a special passport and everything. And that's how it works. Diplomatic relations are the key to everything. If you don't have diplomatic relations, you don't have a foreign government. This works for you, does it? I, like you said, you have license plates? Yeah, what, make it what myself. You, what, do you, I'm sure you get pulled over. How does that work? No, I never get pulled over. 
What? Never. No, they're diplomatic license plates. Oh my gosh. There's a there's a, if you go on the passport system or you go on my website, there is a diplomatic and consular uh, immunity guide for law enforcement. I studied the whole thing. I know exactly how the police operate in terms of foreign uh, diplomats. A national or non-citizen national is legally a foreign diplomat. Because the word okay. national, if you look up the word national, it's in that same area, Title 8, Section 1101, Subsection 823, where we saw the term naturalization. 21, just two points above that, it says here, the term national means a person owing permanent allegiance to a state. So the thing is, is that is that when you when you when you say you're a U.S. citizen, you're naturalizing into the state called United States, which is located in the District of Columbia. When you say that you are a national of the Amnesty Coalition, that's completely foreign to United States and completely foreign to the District of Columbia. So you are, by definition, representing that foreign nation within the territorial boundaries of anything that would be of a relationship with the federal corporation. So you are literally an ambassador. And the way that they deal with ambassadors, when you read the diplomatic and consular immunity guide for law enforcement is they can detain you only until they can verify your, your, your identity. Once they verify your identity, they, 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 they can write you tickets, but but like the way that the consular and, and diplomatic immunity guide is written is that it's very, very frowned upon. And they really shouldn't, basically, uh, unless you're committing like a crazy criminal act or there's like danger in the area and you're causing it. Like they're really not supposed to arrest you or detain you at all. You have full diplomatic immunity. There's various levels of diplomatic immunity. For example, consular is a completely different definition than diplomat. Diplomats or ambassadors have the highest diplomatic community. There's like four or five or, or maybe six different levels. Consulars is a little different. They don't have that same, that same power. They don't have that same. And then you have service staff, and then you have the various levels below that for consular or for diplomat. But when you set everything up correctly and you actually understand the definitions of the words, you, you become an ambassador or ambassador at large which is which is the absolute highest diplomatic community that you can achieve in America. I I barely know how to react to this. George, do you have thoughts? I'm just wondering what the practical implications of this are because it seems kind of like well, I'm thinking I'm thinking actually back to a famous quote from the Peloponnesian War from the Athenian politician Cleon the strong will do what they will. The weak will suffer what they must. Like in theory, this all sounds great, but what are its practical implications in terms of actually protecting you from the federal corporation? Since they are undeniably the ones with uh, a lot more coercive force. So it all comes down to 18 USC 11, uh, 18 USC 11, meaning at peace, right? So, so if you're not at peace, so the, 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 the thing that's kind of scary about all this is, you're either a completely foreign government, a completely foreign nation, and they will give you full diplomatic immunity and, and you're tax exempt and you're sales tax exempt and, and, and you can't get pulled over, you can't get tickets, you can't get shit. It's either that or you're an international terrorist club. There, there, there's no in-between when you start going into this. Uh, 
Now, the thing that separates out which of those two categories that you wind up in is the definition of the word peace. Everything hinges on the definition of the word peace. So you got to think to yourself, so, okay, so, so there are aspects of the government that I do not like. There are aspects of the government that, you know, for example, if you took someone like Alex Jones, Alex Jones would never have a foreign government because he's not at peace. He's very openly not at peace. There's a lot of people who are not at peace with the federal government, right? When you look at the federal government in, in a super wide eagle down view, you realize that there's a lot of things that are fine. It's not, you know, yes, there are a lot of things that are bad, but there's a lot of things that aren't as well, right? And if you think about it more in the respect of, okay, so, so, Everyone, almost everyone in the entire country is signed up as a U.S. citizen, which which physically locates them in the District of Columbia. So the, the, the percentage of Americans that are actually located on paper in America is a very, 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 very small percentage of people. Now, what is the act or situation or time period that separated us out into these two different classifications? The 14th Amendment. And in 1967, Congress actually talks about the 14th Amendment was ever never actually legally ratified. So the thing is, is that I could say, and I on my law on my law firm website, I talk about re, uh, uh, getting rid of the 14th Amendment. But but really, in actual reality, it, it doesn't even really exist. Uh, the thing is, is that the 14th Amendment simply needs to be acknowledged as never existing in the first place. Now. The FBI, the CIA, the IRS, the Federal Reserve, these things are all created through that US citizen corporate loophole. So what happens is if you if you if you if you clarify the non-existence since the inception of the vitiation of the 14th Amendment, what happens is instantaneously and automatically all US citizens become state citizens or nationals. And they're all foreigners. And we all Everything goes back and clicks back into place as a pre-American. All the FBI, all the police, all the CIA, all the IRS, all of it vanishes. The Federal Reserve vanishes all overnight. And by law, by the Constitution, Article 1, Section 10 states that no state shall make anything but money except gold and silver coins. We instantaneously reboot the entire country. Now, to me, that's very, very simple. I don't have a problem with the federal corporation. The federal corporation is, yes, it's it's got its issues, but 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 at, for me to be at peace is I have good diplomatic relations with myself and my own group, and I want to have my group. I teach it all the time. You don't be mad. You don't be angry. You don't freak out. You need to educate, help, and assist. And 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 for all the people that use my explanatory statement, which is the uh, the nation of the Amnesty Coalition paperwork that we attach to the passports to get the special diplomatic passports. The whole point of the Amnesty Coalition, what's the definition of the word amnesty? It's forgiveness or 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 the the assumed uh, non-activity of some sort of crime or 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 harmful activity. What's the definition of coalition? Coalition is a temporary group of sometimes very, very different people coming together for some sort of like temporary collective situation or enemy, right? So when you look at like it through history, if you look at times of great warfare, like when towns are being bombed and stuff like that, you'll see at that same time, you'll see a cohesiveness. Everyone that was previously fighting against each other all comes together. The amount of mental illness goes way, way down. Everything 
there, there's a there's a cohesiveness, a collectivity. Uh, it, it is a coalition in that moment because then, once the the bombing and once the warfare is completed, then they a, a, a culture has a tendency to start getting in back into the internal warfare because they just want something to fight and kind of that whole thing. So so the amnesty coalition is basically what we're doing is we're coming together and 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 the people who are involved in creating this black magic spellbook. We're just forgiving them. And if you look at the the explanatory statement that I write, uh, basically the way we look at it is it's like a little baby that's crying over some spilt milk. Uh, that's essentially how we view the the slave state or the matrix. And we we have no interest in any sort of, you know, uh, uh, retribution or revenge or anything like that. And, and it's all part of the contract basically. Right. So, so if anyone does anything that would be outside of the specific definition of peace outside of the idea of an ambassador at large, then, then they, 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 they don't need any letters or official anything from me to let them know that they are no longer a part of the nation. It's an automatic uh, 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 instantaneous removal from the nation, right? Now, in my nation, there are no citizens. There are only ambassadors. So so in order to involve yourself with my nation, you would have to become an ambassador of the Amnesty Coalition. And that is essentially what the Amnesty Coalition seeks to do. The Amnesty Coalition, the, the ultimate goal of the Amnesty Coalition is the complete clearing and complete understanding of all words, symbols, terms, sentences, etc. And the ultimate level that someone who is involved in the Amnesty Coalition can possibly achieve is to be actively redefining and 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 self-defining all definitions of all words, terms, and phrases within the confines of all the contracts in their life. That includes government contracts. Uh, if the government or the IRS sends you anything, you could actually redefine the words of whatever it is that they've sent you through an affidavit. And if they don't rebut each individual definition of that affidavit within 30 or 60 days, your definitions become active. It's called a novation. So the ultimate, the ultimate goal for someone who is an ambassador of the Amnesty Coalition is to completely redefine through novations all the contracts in their entire life at will and to assist others to do the same. It sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> but to go back to your question, your question was, how does this legal, how does it work? The answer to that question comes from 18 U.S.C. 112, which talks about the protection of foreign officials, official guests, and internationally protected persons, right? There's six different terms that they use to describe us once we become nationals, once we go through this process. These terms are foreign government, foreign official, internationally protected person, international organization, national of the United States, and official guest. And basically the way it works is we, we, we have very, very, very special protections from the federal corporation, and they take it very, very seriously to the point where there's actually a section in the U.S. Code that talks about how we have access even to the Secret Service. Now, originally I thought that meant we can call upon them, but, you know, clearing up every single definition of every single word in that section, I realized that it's not that you can call upon them and they have to act. It's just that you you have a U.S. citizen cannot ask anything from the Secret Service. 
But an internationally protected person or national uh, or foreign government, which we've already talked about what all that means, you can you can ask for help from the Secret Service, but they do not have any obligation to approve that request. But you can request assistance on certain things if you need to. Let's say I was involved in something internationally. As a non-citizen national, uh, I can actually call upon the United States or the Secret Service to assist me internationally because I am an internationally protected person. There's like, special, there's like special what, they're laws. They're going to send for... people to come protect you, or yes, no. Oh, you can request them to do so, and then okay. if they approve it, they will. There. Originally, I thought there was an obligation on their part, uh, and now after going into it deeper, I do not believe there is any obligation on their part. But you can request it as a as a, a not, as an internationally protected person. You can request assistance from the Secret Service and various other areas that a U.S. citizen wouldn't have that option. I hope a U.S. citizen is basically a U.S. citizen is basically a government employee. Right, right, and I, I hope you can. You can, uh, what's the word? Um, bear with me. I, this is all stretching my brain in so many different directions. It's kind of <laughs> a little hard to keep up. Um, but we are coming to time. We got about, I would say, 10 minutes left. Um, oh, yeah. Is there anything you'd, you'd like to add to this that people should know before they go and check out your stuff? Uh, no, I mean, this is, I mean, if, if anyone finds this fascinating, I mean, we have a big group. We have people all over the world now. Uh, we do a lot of, we're a very action-based group, which sounds like it fits with with what you guys enjoy. Uh, constantly, constantly, constantly doing things and trying things and attempting things. We have a great relationship with all the different government agencies, such as the Department of State. Uh, we will be creating a relationship with the Department of the Interior at some point. And... Um, yeah, it's 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 a uh, it's very very fun. It's very very fascinating, and and it's very very freeing on a level that most people never would have contemplated or imagined. Yeah, I can sense that, and I I can I'm here to uh, confer upon you the title of the true king of Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I want that title, but thank you. <laughs> it's a, it's an honorary title. There's no there's no responsibilities required, but so um, funny. George, no, last shot here. Did did you have anything you wanted to ask Brandon? Uh, no, I think I'm good. I I need to do some further reading. Um, I absolutely hate reading law codes, um, but I uh, I'm intrigued enough that I think I'll put myself through it. <laughs> God bless Brandon for doing it for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a lot more interesting when when you can tie it down. It's a lot more interesting when. You know, even in the term naturalization, even in everything they use, they use all these words. And the reason why people hate reading it is because they they can't understand it. And the reason why you can't understand it is because the definitions of the words. For example, no one would have ever imagined that the word person had a completely different definition. And it changes everything because the, the conferring of nationality of a state upon a person. It doesn't say upon yourself. It says upon a person. I can confer nationality. Uh, of a state upon you guys, which would probably be get me in trouble, but you can do it. I, I, I don't know how the hell that would work. Uh, I can confer nationality of a state upon a corporation. I can confer nationality of a state upon a trust, a, an association, a partnership, an individual. Uh, you can literally confer nationality of a state upon other people. I mean, technically, 
as per the definition of, of naturalization. And you'll notice something else is the, the Constitution says we the people. You'll never see the word people used anywhere in the United States Code, UCC, CFR, anywhere, because they're not talking about people. They're talking about persons. Completely different term. Wow. Well, I can assure you, we talk about dead people, not dead persons. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, this is this is also fascinating. Where can where should people start if they want to get digging into this? Where where would you have them start? My website is one stupid fuck.com. <laughs> <laughs> is that a one O W O O N E or O N E, yeah. Okay. Uh and is there a particular resource they should look for just for starting? Uh I have a, a step-by-step guide section when you first start. I and then I have um the contract killer course, which is one video per day for a series of about 39 days. It's free. And it covers this information plus a whole lot more. Okay. And I know you have a YouTube channel. I, I think I saw in there you have a podcast called Burning Dumpster Fire. <laughs> yeah, the Burning yeah. Dumpster Fire podcast. Uh I don't do a lot of shows on there, but I do maybe one every two to four weeks. And okay. I put it on YouTube. Yeah, it's kind of like the, the shows on YouTube are kind of like what is the current research and kind of what's kind of happening and maybe a little bit of theories. But I I try to stay away from theories. I try not to talk about much of anything until I can nail it down to some degree. And the definition of nailing it down really is just definitions. I guess I have one final question before we go. Um, you described to me sort of like the ideal end of this, but like what, what ideally, where, where will we be um, if all this gets worked out and say, you know, what sometime in the future, what's, what's America going to look like in an ideal world after all this is done? Uh, it's going to look like pre-1871 America. Gold back, gold, uh, gold and silver coins is the currency. Uh, it's got about a hundred times the buying power of what we have now. There is no more fiat anything. When you start going down that rabbit hole, Federal Reserve notes, you look up the definition of the word note, it means promissory note. That's a crazy rabbit hole. Uh, all Federal Reserve notes are actually securities. They are not money. And actually, uh, if you look at the construction of the title of the Uniform Commercial Code Article 3, which is talking about negotiable instruments and securities, they specifically say right at the beginning of that, of that of that article that the uh, UCC article three is about negotiable instruments, not about money. They're very clear about that. Uh, Federal reserve notes are not money. Only gold and silver coins are considered money. Federal reserve notes are securities or uh, a currency, completely different term. Right? So, so we, you start going down that rabbit hole and then basically the, the ending of that rabbit hole would be a conversion back to pre 18 pre uh, pre 1913 pre-Federal Reserve Act, which we there were silver certificates and stuff like that, but really the the ultimate goal would be go all the way back to what does the Constitution say? Gold and silver coins, right? And 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 in a world where we have gold and silver coins, I mean, you could buy a, you'd have a brand new house, four brand new cars, bicycle, four, five, six kids, uh, working at McDonald's, flipping burgers, you know, 35 hours a week. Because the buying power of the of the dollar would be so high that that you would have pre-1913 buying power uh which which isn't the silver certificates the, the buying power was even less than if we go full-blown gold silver coins uh 
that's that's like a hundred x the buying power of what we currently are experiencing. So it's like basically everyone's rich. Essentially, that's that's how the culture should be. Uh, it's it's through the banking institutions that they've manufactured this false illusion that you know everything's scarce because ninety nine percent of all the value goes straight into the banks through the every time you use your credit card, you're actually producing a security. You're producing a promise to pay, which has the same value in law as a promissory note, as a Federal Reserve note. And what happens is through through an endorsement process, which means the way that you sign, you're actually gifting all of those valuable securities to the bank. So what happens every time you use a credit card, you're actually paying twice. And we get into that a lot in the YouTube videos and then also some in the free course. And um, when you learn how to endorse, which means when you learn how to release securities, and you learn how endorsement works in terms of bills of exchange and promissory notes, you can actually sign all of your receipts and sign all of your transactions and sign your mortgages and sign all your banking, anything that you do with loans to where the, the loan instantaneously discharges off itself by making the security of the promissory note of the loan payable to yourself. You can do the same thing with tickets that police officers give you. You can actually make the ticket payable to yourself. So you can actually make money when police officers write you tickets because the ticket is nothing more than a commercial promissory note. Everything is basically either a promissory note or a bill of exchange. And once you learn how that works, that's a, whew, that's a, that's a hell of a rabbit hole in itself. Well, I have to admit, I think I've, I think I've gotten stuck in the rabbit hole. <laughs> I've, I've been down a few too many of them at this point and, uh, well, I've either gotten stuck in the rabbit hole or I've been stuck in the dumpster with the other raccoons. <laughs> I don't know which it is, but I'm, I've, I'm out of steam. This is, this is fascinating stuff. I really appreciate you coming on here and, and, uh, you know, let your, let your agent know that we appreciate she stuck with us, chased me around forever. I didn't know she was chasing me that long. I've heard this probably three or four times total. We chased, we chased Sam Tripoli mm -hmm. for like nine months. Really? I got him with one email. No, we chased him for nine months. We chased wow. him. Well, I was on his Rockfin show in December of last year. And he's like, holy shit, this is epic. He's like, we need to get you on the big show. And then he just ghosted us for like nine months. <laughs> uh, and then and then I got on and then I got on, on Tinfoil Hat and I, I crushed it, obviously, because you know, I still to this day get I got so many traffic on my website and everything just went fucking nuts for so long. Still to this day, I still get messages and all this kind of stuff. I went and saw Sam a couple of times out here performing and uh He's a, he's a great, great performer. Oh my God. His set is just unbelievably hilarious. So, uh, but yeah, he's it's a funny it's, guy, obviously. I mean, he's, he's a good so comedian. funny. He's so fucking funny. Oh my God. But yeah, anyways, thanks. Thanks a lot for having me on the show. Uh, appreciate it very, very much. And, uh, yeah, if anyone's, we, we, we definitely do a lot of history. So if you guys are, are kind of a history based, uh, we, uh it's all, it's all based off of, financial history of the financial system or history of the citizenship system or history of, and, and, and basically, you know, most, most of our research ends at about 1871. Uh, that's pretty much everything, you know, the, the emergency banking act of 1933, that's when they took all the gold and silver coins away. And then that's when they gave us the infinite credit system where, you know, if you look at, uh, 18 USC eight, it's called obligations or other securities of the United States. And it's actually crazy because what people don't realize is every single bill, every single Federal Reserve note, every single bill that you get mailed to your house 
is actually the government. It's actually the federal corporation's bills. It's not your bills at all. Uh, that comes from 18 USC 8. You can actually send your bills into the government and they will pay your bills for you because they're actually obligations or other securities of the United States as per 18 USC 8. Uh, it, it gets it gets crazy, crazy, crazy. That all comes from the Emergency Banking Act of 1933. And then you have the Social Security Act of 1935. So after they took away the backing of the gold and silver coins, what did they replace it with? Our potential labor. And that's the Social Security system. The Social Security system is the backing for the promissory notes called Federal Reserve notes. And then you go down that rabbit hole. And it's just like, uh, you know, this is what we do. This is all we do. So if anybody has an interest in, in all of this and they find this to be fascinating, which we do, and, and it's, it's all tied down to some sort of actionability. We, we tie everything down to an actionability. Like Social Security, you know, you can go into the Social Security office and do all sorts of crazy shit. Uh, you know, bills of exchange and, and promissory notes and banking. We, we, we are probably learning to become the most powerful banking group in, in the entire world. Uh, just through simple education, uh, you know, nationality, we work with the Department of State, how to go through all the passport system, how to go, how, how to actually deal with passport employees, uh, the the pitfalls of all of that, uh, uh, driver's licenses, how to go into the DMV and change that all up and sign that in a certain way that makes it null and void, but you can still get one, but they can't write tickets on it now anymore. Uh, so many actionable things. It's just amazing. It's, it's, it's all action-based. Well, that's the kind of stuff I like to hear. So, uh, you guys should check out one stupid fuck. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, Brandon, and don't we... forget to join us next time for another episode of Indiana tales. Oh, <laughs> Indiana. <laughs> yeah, man. Mullets, double wide. Pit Vipers and fucking Miller High Life, man. 32 ounces. Let's go. 32 ounces of freedom, you know? Hell yeah. Let's go, Indiana. <laughs> uh, thank you all for coming to the Hoosier cast. Uh, Brandon, <laughs> thanks so much for your time. Awesome, guys. Yeah, we appreciate it. Um, yeah, we'd be happy to have you back anytime, for real. We won't make you chase us for a year. Yeah, whatever you guys want. If, if this drops and, and your audience loves it, maybe they have specific things they want me to cover, because I... I just kind of did like a, like kind of like a blah on, on a lot of it. Uh, but if you guys want to go deep dive on anything specific and, and it might take an hour or two, then just uh, let me know. I'll be more than happy to come back. Hell yeah. We appreciate that. Anyway, I'm going to close out the show. So uh, we'll see you guys next time on We Talk About Dead People. We are going to be coming at you hopefully with another interview soon and possibly an old fashioned research episode. Be here. Be there. Be here. Be there. Be there or be square. This is Indiana. Yeah, we do it big. Boston on the big and You know what it is. Cause this is IU. You. You. This is IU. You. You. We got bangers on the wall. And this is how we fall. Talking about the who. Who. Shares. Talking about the who. Who. Shares. Unlike you at the school. Thank you for listening to We Talk About Dead People. You should check out my other podcast, The Clown Town Chronicle. It is a variety show making fun of the mainstream media and other weird stuff we find on the internet. Accompanied sometimes by George, but always by somebody interesting who is in the podcasting realm. We are here to watch. So yes, check out Clown Town Chronicle. Give it a nice review if you like it. See you later. This is Indiana. Yeah, we do it big.